People play video games because they want a challenge. They seek out unnecessary obstacles. The original Mario game is a game that many people can look to and find a challenge in. And it has visual, quantitative, and qualitative feedbacks that keep a player going while playing it. Now, visual feedback is the satisfying things you see throughout the game, such as new enemies, new locations. It encourages the player to keep playing so they can see more and learn more about the game. Quantitative feedback is when the wor is the world number. As you see in the game, there are levels labeled one one, one two, one three. Seeing these numbers go go up, encourages the player to keep moving on through the game, because they see that they what they are doing is making progress. Gives them a feeling of satisfaction and pride in what they are doing. And encourages them to keep going. Then there is qualitative. Qualitative feedback is the challenge. Now, most games start off fairly easy and they get harder as they go on. The reason for this is that it is to keep the player interested. If the game stayed easy from beginning to end, no one would want to play it because there's no challenge. There's no feeling of reward after you defeat a difficult boss. Which comes into the Italian word fairo, which is a feeling of pride one gets. Now, this feeling of pride is connected to qualitative feedback. Um, as the game gets harder, as you get better at it, you'll face bigger and bigger challenges. And some of those challenges you will have a harder time beating. So when you do finally defeat it, you'll get this feeling of ultimate pride and joy that you were able to overcome a obstacle that you earlier could not. That feeling is one of the many feelings that people love games. They want a challenge so they can overcome it and feel the joy that comes with success. Before video games, cities were the main way people socially communicated with each other in communities. They could meet up to play games and form friendships and strengthen their bonds, or they could gather together and share their information that they've gathered. But games have provided a much wider community for gamers to do this. Where before gamer people were limited by their surroundings, they no longer are thanks to games and their communities. With a game, somebody from one side of the world can communicate and bond with someone from the other side. Further sharing ideas and connections amongst people of varying backgrounds. This allowing for a much greater community connection than cities ever could provide. Now people can share their ideas and information from across the globe with each other in a matter of seconds without having to wait any time. Furthermore, games allow for people to communicate with each other at any time without any kind of restrictions. Back in the time of cities, uh, being the main social place. You had to find a time where both of you could physically meet up to connect with someone. 
But now, thanks to games, you can do that anytime or anywhere, no matter the distance. Simply turning on some game like Farmville, you could connect with friends without having to do very much effort. And you can do it at any time. Got a five-minute break at the office? You can do it then. Have uh, Want to play a game before bed? Maybe commute, talk to some friends? You can do that as well. You no longer have to meet up at specific times. Games allow for a much bigger community than any city could ever provide before. Gamers aren't reinventing community, but they are improving upon it. They're making it better. They're making it bigger. Robotic relationships have made real relationships much weaker. The reason for this is because our robotic relationships with robotic pets, friends, and spouses are much easier to predict and a lot less requiring of a person. Where a regular pet needs to be walked, cleaned, bathed, played with, all those things, a robotic dog only has the positives. They just need to be played with. They don't need to be fed or cleaned or took for walks. Same thing goes for things like robotic friends. In comparison to an actual human being, a robotic friend is much easier to predict and to maintain in a way. Where human relationships require effort on both sides and a lot of time, a robotic relationship is a little different. With a robot, you can go up to them, talk to them for about 10 minutes, and then once you get bored, you can walk away. You can't really do that with another human being. Uh, and then finally, there's robotic wives and husbands and other things like that. Where a normal human wife and husband and other requires a lot of relationship work, commitment, uh, and the other person has to live with the constant fear that, hey, maybe my spouse is cheating on me. They don't have to worry about these things with a robot. With a robot, they can simply program it to not uh, to be a certain way so they don't have to put a lot of commitment in it or and they never have to fear about a robot cheating on them with someone else. Robots have replaced that complex and difficult relationships between humans with much more simple ones. Now, I'm not going to say whether that's a good or a bad thing. That's up to you to decide. Relationships need risk. Otherwise, they get boring and stale. Much like a video game. Video games always are constantly challenging the player to make them grow and get better. That And it provides something to keep the player interested. The risk is part of the reward. The same thing goes with relationships. Now, while a relationship always has the chance to end awful, and there's always a chance that the person either uh, breaks up with you or stops being your friend or just starts hating you for no reason, it's all a chance. But that's what keeps things interesting. 
if a video game didn't have any challenges, people would stop playing it eventually because, like, there's nothing to gain from it. Same thing goes for relationships. Relationships, whether it be romantic, platonic, or whatever, need some level of risk to keep things interesting. You need to be able to trust a person with this, with these risks. You need to be able to look at a friend and know this person can hurt me and betray me, but they don't. That level of risk increases the trust and relationship between the two people. So, relationships do always need a level of risk. And the most valuable relationships have the most risk. The people you bring closer have more power to hurt you. But they choose not to. And that is the reward one gets for risking themselves. By constantly being online, we have created the conditions where we Promote machine value and demote human value. The book provides examples where people view sociable robots as just alive enough. Someone who they can socialize with when they want to and feel not alone, but they can also ignore when they feel like it, with no negative consequences. And something similar kind of happens with humans and how we treat each other over the internet. Over the internet, we are no longer individuals. We are more of a bigger unit. A fine example of this would be from Twitter, when somebody makes a tweet, their followers are not really individuals to them. They don't know them personally. They're not thinking of each one as a different person. They view them more as a unit, someone that is part of a collective. This viewing others as part of a unit depersonalizes the connection between them, making it much easier for someone to, say, ignore them. Now, you can't ignore a person without any negative consequences, in real life. But on the internet, you can do it much easier. If you kind of don't look at them as a person, you look at them as just part of the internet, like a small drop in the ocean, it's much easier to overlook it. Thus, demoting human value, putting it on the level of the sociable machine, where it's just alive enough. Something that you can interact when you feel like it, and ignore when you don't. This is Alexander Dazan, and I will be doing my solo draft of our podcast due to everyone in our group having a different schedule from each other. Today I'll be going over how I'm going to discuss each topic and the ideas I'll bring up about it. To start things off, let's focus on the main topic of this discussion. The main topic we'll be focusing on is if humans will be the gods of their machines or if we'll be crushed by it.
Now, what that means is, can we learn from machines and master them and control them within every aspect of our lives? Or will the ultimate power of technology crush us and destroy humanity as a whole? I argue that humans can be masters of the machines with informed use. There are many things one can be informed by using technology. They allow for they allow for community, challenge, life fulfillment, and just general task aspects. And just helping society as a whole. The first topic I'll focus on is community and communication. McGonagall argues that um, producers and consumers around the world can communicate much faster due to new media like video games and the internet. Starting with communication, McGonagall believes that new media allows producers slash consumers around the world to communicate much easier and much more quickly. They even say games are increasingly a crucial social thread woven through our everyday lives. We're using asynchronous social interaction in games like Lexalus and Farmville to build stronger and stickier connections. What they mean by this is that games allow for a much stronger bond between both players, or more. When people are playing a game and they win and lose and just have friendly banter and teasing, it strengthens the bond between those two people. This has been a th- games have always been a way to bond. That was their main purpose to create a connection between people and to have fun. And McDonald sees that. And they're right. It is for fun and it is to create bonds with people. And it also allows for communication much more widely. In certain games, there are world chats. Or group chats. Certain, especially in mobile games. Many mobile games have what they call a guild function. Where it's players enter a group called a guild. And they work together to play the game. Helping each other and facing other guilds. Most games usually have a communication chat. Specifically for the guild or for a world chat where people from around the world can communicate with each other about the game. This helps bring people much more closely together while they enjoy a game they they love. However, not everyone agrees with this. Um, Turkle believes that the internet and the vast variety of ways we can connect is actually blurring the line between real and imaginary connections. Believing that children and adults are connecting to robots and machines, making them much more alive, and connecting less with actual humans, making them less alive. He has been, they have been quoted to say, I have watched three decades of children with increasingly sophisticated computer toys. I have seen these toys move from being described as sort of alive to alive enough. The language of the generation whose childhood play was with these sociable robots in the form of digital pets and toys. 
what they're trying to say there is actually quite simple. People are make are personifying these machines, these inanimate objects, making them much more alive than they actually are. They're getting more attached. They believe that these robots actually have feelings for them. Like a living creature would, when they don't. But they're also alive enough where if you want to, you can turn off the machine and then not worry about it. You can just put it off to the side. You're done talking to it or done playing with it. Something you can't do with another living creature. And this kind of drains its way into other aspects of human life, such as emails. Many people look at emails and they, uh, they either look at it as a chore when one when getting an email from a colleague or a friend should be seen as a good thing. And they can also look at it as a much more uh, unhumanizing way. Somebody going through their emails could simply just not do an email, not communicate with a person, until they feel like it. Much like how somebody could communicate and act with the robot. They could just put it off to the side until they feel like talking. Which is something you can't really do with humans. But the internet allows that. The internet allows you to look at an email and be like, I'll message, I don't feel like doing that today, I'll do it tomorrow. I agree with both McGonagall and Turkle here. I agree more so with McGonagall, however. Mostly because the fact that communication is so much stronger thanks to these new medias and the internet as a whole that people can, can, can talk with and communicate with people that share interest or from halfway across the world. It's beautiful. And to McGonagall's argument of people giving machines much more humanistic aspects, that's nothing new. One of the most common things with humans is their ability to personify objects. We're a very sociable animal. So we look for connections like that in anything, even inanimate objects. So, this is nothing new. People have been taking a rock, drawing eyes on it, and then just thinking that it feels for them because they can connect with it. Turkle's belief is nothing new. It's always been there with humanity. And we can't ignore that. Next we'll move on to challenge. McGonagall believes that humans love challenge. They love to look at an obstacle and be like, yeah, I'm going to beat that. I'm going to overcome it. Because it makes them feel good. He, they have been even quoted of saying in their book, in other words, in a good computer or video game, you're always playing on the very edge of your skill level. Always on the brink of falling off. And when you do fall off, you feel the urge to climb back on. This is a perfect example of humans and their desire for challenge. People love challenges. They love to look at something that they know they can beat 
and overcome it, even if they lose. If they lose and they know they can beat it, they'll get back up and they'll keep trying until they eventually win. And when they do eventually win, they'll feel so sweet and amazing because they've been losing so much and they just have this ultimate joy that they just can't explain. Turkle, however, believes that people don't really want challenges. And that's why they turn to sociable robots. Sociable robots are much easier to predict. They have set sayings and predictable actions and sentences that they'll say. Some people do want predictability in their life. A human being or another living animal isn't predictable. A human could one day be your best friend, and maybe the next they'll turn behind your back and, like, be mean to you, stab you behind the back, just ruin your life. There's anything that could happen. Even with a spouse. With a spouse, you have the chance that they might cheat on you. Or that they'll stop loving you. However, with a robot companion, these aren't options. A robot companion is designed to love you and to stay with you. A robot spouse will never cheat on you because it's not programmed to. It's programmed to eternally love you. And robotic pets will never die like real pets. And if you want to stop playing with a robotic pet, you can just turn it off. You can't do that with actual living animals. They, they don't have an on-off switch. They're always there, and you always have to give them attention, food, exercise, all of the things that are required for a living creature. Once again, I'll have to agree with McGonagall here, and sort of disagree more with Turkle than I did last time. Although, I do believe that there are definitely people out in the world that want more predictable companions. They will look towards robotic, sociable interactions over human ones. But, if you look at it, if you look at McGonagall's belief that humans love challenge, you'll see that human relationships provide that challenge. The one thing about human relationships that Turkle believes that turns people off from it is the fact that it's unpredictable. That's difficult. That it's something that just you can't understand, really. Which is a challenge. And as has been stated before, people love challenges. So... For many people, the risk and challenges of a relationship are its own reward. Where in a romantic relationship, a spouse may leave you and break your heart. There's also a chance that they will love you forever and provide you with that. And there's also the strengthening of bonds in relationships. In a relationship, you have to... uh you have to make a connection. And you have to trust somebody with the with the fragility of your life. You have to trust them with these secrets that could hurt you. And you gotta trust them enough to know that they won't use it against you. They won't hurt you. That risk, that challenge, is what people love. 
They love a game that's always constantly pushing you. They love games like a great example would be Tetris. Tetris is always pushing you to do better. Much like a real-life relationship. Each person is pushing the other one to do better, and sometimes there's a rough patch where you fail. Like in Tetris. The blocks move much faster. They fall faster. And you have less time to respond. But you are getting better as you do that. Just like how with relationships, when you fail one relationship, that can help you grow for the next. And people look at these challenges and these opportunities to grow, and they just love it. They might not love the feeling of losing or of heartbreak, but they do love it when they succeed, and that only happens after you lose. Next, we move on to life fulfillment. McGonagall believes that society as a whole is missing something, that there isn't there isn't something that games provide, which is why people turn to video games, because they provide something that life cannot. He quotes, The truth is this, in today's society, computer and video games are fulfilling genuine human needs that the real world is currently unavailable to satisfy. Games are providing rewards that reality is not. Now, this is correct. In life, as we previously mentioned, people love challenges. They love being constantly pushed to their limit and growing from it. That isn't always the case in real reality, in real life. In real life, someone can master their job. They can be excellent at being like a chef. There's eventually a point where maybe you just aren't being pushed enough in your job. Because if you're a bakery chef, you only have so much you need to do. Yeah, there's a really low skill ceiling. You, you don't really need much more challenge after that for your job. But people want it. And video games allow that challenge. In a video game, you're constantly pushed to your limit and challenged, which people love. For an example, look at any RPG game. All of them have a level system where you go stronger as you play. And as you go through each world, it gets harder and harder and it challenges you more and more. Because that's what people want. They want to constantly be challenged. And they, they usually aren't in life. In life, people want a challenge that they know they can beat. Some challenges in life can't be beaten, which turns people away from it. In video games, that's never usually the case. You can always beat something if you try hard enough. Then there's Turkle, who believes that technology is the reason why society is falling apart, and that robots were the cause of why people were being such more self-involved, saying, if they can give the appearance of aliveness and yet not disappoint, Relationally, artifacts such as sociable robots open new possibilities for narcissistic experience. One might even say that when people turn other people into self-objects, they're trying to run a person into a kind of spare part. Now, what they're saying with this...
with this appearance of a real life relationship while not really being one it provides people with this life of them they feel like they're missing as we said earlier people want a challenge and they want the illusion that they're being challenged in relationship so they might choose a robot to do that now i don't believe this i believe people would look at a robot and be for the most part believing that that isn't a real relationship, there's no challenge to it, there's no risk and reward. And without that risk and reward, there's not much fulfillment. However, if people can just turn other human beings into spare parts or something that they can feel more complete with at times when they choose to, that's something that, that, that can happen. Okay, I'm not really good on this topic, so I'm going to just drop this one, and maybe I'll do better when I can communicate with the other members of my team. Because we can bounce off each other more on that one. So, moving on to the next subject. Which is helping society as a whole. Now, McGonagall believed that through games and technology, we could help society heal and become much better. Because, as he said earlier, there's something missing. Turkle, however, believed that technology would destroy humanity, but we'll get to that later. Now, continuing on with McGonagall, he is quoted as saying, But I also see a future in which the games we play stroke our appetite for engagement, pushing and enabling us to make stronger connections and bigger contributions to a world around us. What he is suggesting here, is that one day, video games will push us to do better, not just in games, but in reality. Helping make the world around us a better place. If something is missing in real life, say, the challenge, and video games provide that, if we can somehow connect video games and reality together, and replace what's missing in reality with that of what's in video, video games, such as challenge, we can help make humanity better. We can help society grow. An example of this would be that one game mentioned in the book that I can't remember, where people create avatars and they get experience and money for doing chores around the house. Now, most people don't like to do chores around the house. That's why it's called chores. <laughs> However, this provides a reward for that challenge. It provides a challenge and a reward which people love. And it motivates them to do it. Something that real life doesn't do. Real life has these things that need to be done, but with very little reward from doing it. But if you take the reward aspect from video games and add it to reality, it makes life so much better. Turkle, on the other hand believes that technology is dangerous and that research portrays Americans are increasingly insecure, isolated, and lonely due to these new technologies. And though he's right, technology definitely has the power to isolate us and to make us more insecure. It also has the power to make us grow. It's a double-edged sword in a way. Now, the reason why 
people are being isolated is that they're not informed users. They can't look at the internet the proper way, in quotation marks, and grow from it. Instead, they're simply looking at it as kind of an escape instead of as a way to grow in reality. Video games can help people grow in reality by presenting challenges and and even motivations, like with that game I mentioned not too long ago. However, if this technology is not used to help grow reality as well, it will just isolate people and turn everyone away from each other.